0: This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. At the top in this hour, though, and, and this comes off a conversation that I remember having a few years ago. And it was back in 2013 when some Dutch scientists first uh, announced their lab-grown burger. And this was all meat basically grown and cultured in a lab, and they made enough of it to, to put together a burger. Now, since then, the cost of doing that has come down considerably, to say the least. It cost them about three, over three hundred thousand dollars to do that. Uh, now, you could do that for about uh, eleven bucks for a burger. So, besides it being kind of a, a cool story about what these scientists are capable of, I mean, it obviously raises the question of whether this is what we should pursue. Uh, agriculture is a very resource-intensive industry when it comes to to land, water, etc. So what if we could create some of those products that we rely on agriculture to supply uh, and do it in a more sustainable way? And it wouldn't just have to be meat. What about milk? What about eggs? Could we do all of this in a lab? And if we could, is the public prepared to get on board? Now, there is the issue, and I know out here where we've got, for example, a pretty big beef industry, that you'd be talking about people's livelihood and putting people out of work. What are the compelling reasons to do this? Well, joining us uh, for more, very pleased to welcome the program uh, here today uh, Isha Datar, who is executive director of a group called New Harvest. Which is, uh, as they describe it, a research institute accelerating breakthroughs in cellular agriculture, creating products like meat, milk, eggs, leather, silk, and more from cell cultures rather than animals. This is a nonprofit organization. Uh, Isha, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Rob. Happy to be here.
0: All right. Well, again, people can find out more at uh, new-harvest.org. But tell us a bit more why you feel that that we need this these avenues of research.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. uh, so I grew up in Edmonton. I went to the University of Alberta, okay. and I took a meat science class there, and I just learned at the huge environmental impact that animal agriculture has on the planet. And all this time I had thought that it was things like burning fossil fuels that were a huge contributor to climate change, but I, I actually think that it's our raising of over 50 billion animals per year that are one of the biggest contributors to climate change, especially because of the res- the methane gas that is emitted by cows in particular
0: right yeah which is certainly a lot of that uh now the answer to some might be to just stop eating meat altogether but i I guess the idea though here is that that's not realistic but if we can have more sustainable options that way it's kind of a win-win is that how you see it
1: absolutely that's the way we see it for sure
0: all right so where's the technology at first of all
1: Yeah, I I actually wanted to reflect on the comment earlier about the price of cultured meat coming down from about $300,000 per burger to about $11 per pound. Um, That's all very speculative still. Um, That's a number that was put out by some people who had made an assessment of if we were able to scale up these technologies, we could bring the price down. But to date, no cultured meat has been produced at the price of $11 per pound. And there is still an enormous amount of research that needs to be done in that area. And on top of that, there's an, an enormous amount of work that needs to be done in, in terms of clarifying uh, what type of work <laughs> needs to be done, if that makes sense. So we need a lot of help from people in biotechnology, cell biology, food science, to look at how they can be producing foods from cell cultures instead of from whole plants or animals.
0: Right. Well, and I, I mean, it, would be, it depends on what we're talking about here, but how, mm-hmm. how is it done?
1: Um, so very briefly, if we were to talk about producing milk or egg proteins from cell culture, we would simply uh, modify a yeast or other microbe to produce those proteins in culture. And so it would look a lot like brewing beer in the same way we feed sugar to a brewing yeast and that turns it into alcohol. We would be able to feed sugars to yeast and that would turn it into milk proteins. And we've actually already done this many times before with other vitamins, ingredients, enzymes, rennet for cheese making is made this way. So it's not brand new. What's new is the idea that we would do it for something at a commodity level like milk or eggs. And then for the meat, um, we would simply just isolate a muscle cell from an animal and then multiply that in a nutrient medium. And, And visually speaking, that would probably look a lot like a brewery as well, where we just have this controlled environment where we're multiplying cells outside of an animal.
0: So you, you need the animal to start with, right? Yes. But, but how, how many animals would need to be involved to do this on, on a mass scale?
1: Uh, that, that's something that's still kind of up for scientific debate. I think a lot of researchers think that it would be important to maintain herds of animals that you can constantly go back and, and collect cells from, maybe because you want different breeds of animals involved in the production of meat. Um, other researchers think, well, why don't we just establish a base cell culture and then we'll never have to go back to an animal again so that's kind of a scientific conversation at the moment and and perhaps even beyond a scientific conversation just um a topic of interest for people who are interested in the food aspects of things
0: right because i I assume that we're talking about a transition over a very long period of time we wouldn't just wake up one day and say you know it's time to to slaughter all the cows and chickens we don't need them anymore
1: right right
0: (laughs) Uh, so where does new harvest fit in then to to all of this
1: um so new harvest is a nonprofit organization our mission is to advance the academic research behind this um topic not so much because we're totally invested in cultured meat existing in the world but because we think that there are a lot of important questions that need to be asked around this technology so some of the first work that we're doing is is on establishing these first i guess quote-unquote starter cultures that could be used for the production of cultured meat and it's very important to us that all the research that we do remains open and accessible to the public. Um, because we think that if we're going to introduce a new era of food science, that the public should be very involved in it, um, as opposed to what happened with GMOs in the past.
0: Well, yeah, that, that's that's true. I, sur- I certainly support GMOs myself. I understand, though, the, uh, that there's a lot of controversy around them, and there there would be here as well. At, at this point... Yeah. Um, in terms of what the public's willing to accept and in terms of where the science is at, what, what do you see being being first?
1: Um, so, I think that we are going to probably see cultured, self-cultured milk on the market the soonest. Um, it's a little bit easier to produce, relatively speaking, from a scientific point of view. Um, and I think that there's also, it may be more suitable for consumers in the near term, too, because we're so familiar with milk alternatives. But we have not come up with a plant-based alternative that can turn into cheese in the exact same way that milk can, for example. So I think that's going to be the soonest one. Um, I, I definitely think consumers are excited about this and there is a demand, especially when we consider that new harvest research is completely funded by individuals. So there's, there's certainly populations of people who, who want to see this advance.
0: Right. And I remember talking about this before. I get the sense, certainly what I heard from people, there's kind of an unease around that. That this, you know, yeah. meat cultured in a lab, just kind of created from scratch almost. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's tough to, to grasp that concept and to be comfortable eating something like that.
1: I completely agree. And I've felt the same unease. But the more I think about the technology and the more I consider. I guess, the planetary limits that we're reaching with our current animal agriculture, the more I think these are questions worth asking. And I mean, part of the reason why I got involved in this field is is because of that unease and my interest in kind of being there to, to see it happen in what I think is the most responsible way possible.
0: What about, though, and I mentioned this at the outset, I mean, you know, it's a question that comes up when we talk about technology in a lot of ways. Our self-driving car is going to put people out of work. Something like this does stand to mm-hmm. put a lot of people out of work, too.
1: Yes, and I think that is true, and that's a question that I don't usually have a really great answer to, is, you know, what happens to the farmers. Um, I think it depends on if we should revise or amend the definition of what a farmer is. is. Is someone who produces meat, milk, and eggs this way, still a farmer in the same way that someone who runs a brewery is, you know, kind of a farmer and that they're, they're using their microbiology in, <laughs> expertise and technology to produce food for people. Um, my other questions to consider are, you know, there's going to be a supply chain for cultured meat as well. I mean, the cells have to consume something and there will certainly be a population of people that would be employed in producing those early stage materials as well.
0: All right, well, as I mentioned, people can uh, read more, new-harvest.org. Isha, thanks for joining us here today. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much, Rob.
0: All right, take care. Isha Datar uh, is executive director of new harvest, new harvest, new-harvest.org. So they're a nonprofit organization. They're trying to encourage the research. So we can get beef without cows. We can get eggs without hens. This is This something we should try. I mean, it's already happening, right? This, this work is being done, but uh, it's, it's slow. Obviously, we're years and years away from any of this being available on a mass scale. But do people want it, right? She's arguing it from the uh, environmental impact angle here. Talk of the impact that farming has on the environment. What if we didn't need to rely on it? I think that's often seen as the cost of providing people with what they want and need. You want milk, you want eggs, you want meat. This is how we got to do it. But what if it didn't have to be done that way? And would you be comfortable with that? Uh, It was uh, in August of 2013 that they had a news conference where the first lab-grown burger was cooked and consumed. As the BBC describes it here, one food expert said it was close to meat, but not that juicy. But another said it tasted like a real burger. Would you be uneasy with that? This this burger grown in a lab? I think there is a bit of a, an ick factor there for people. Although at the same time, I suppose if you uh, sat through uh, and watched at a slaughterhouse, there might be an ick factor there for you too. 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Now, welcome back. 403-974-8255. I mean, you can see how doing it this way would reduce the amount of land and water that we have to use for agriculture, other pollution that goes along with it. I think at the same time, if we're doing this on a mass scale, that's going to create its own environmental issues. I don't know that it solves the problem entirely, but I mean, it does address it. As the Washington Post uh, pointed out uh, back in 2013, when these uh, lab-grown burgers were first announced, Uh, The OECD estimates the demand for meat in North America will increase by 8% between 2011 and 2020, in Europe by 7%, and in Asia by 56%. So demand's going to continue to grow. At least, I think this is a much more realistic alternative than the uh, more environmental extremists who just want to shut down these industries altogether. So I'd prefer that, or rather I'd prefer this to that. So you to eat lab-grown burgers and be told, you know, sorry, no more burgers at all. Let's go to the phones, though. So what do you make of this? Uh, this is Eric. Eric, good afternoon.
2: Hey, good afternoon, Rob. You know what? I, I don't find it that much of an icky idea. I mean, at the end of the day, as she explained it, we are talking about it's a real burger. I mean, it is yeah. real uh, right. beef cells and all of that. And, you know, really, we, we just had that big issue the other day when they tested the uh, Subway chicken and found out that only half of it or so was chicken. What's the rest of it? I mean, uh, this is real meat. It's, uh, it's, it's a uh, solution to a problem, if you believe in climate change being man-made and cow-made. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if 10, 15 years from now you're going to see that. Maybe you'll be able to choose a 100% uh, free-range beef patty or a 50-50 blend or who knows.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's Check a good it. point. Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I appreciate the phone call. Uh, it should be noted, uh, in fairness, and maybe for other reasons, uh, yeah, there was, was a marketplace on CBC that did that meat analysis, and he mentioned the Subway chicken. Now, Subway uh, disputed that, and Subway has now filed a lawsuit against the CBC, uh, so they're disputing that. So just so it's known that that is uh, being challenged, um, but I, you know, his, his broader point is well taken. I wouldn't have an option, or I wouldn't have an issue with this as an option. To me, I'd want to know, okay, well, what does it taste like? If it tastes good, all right, that's a big check in its favor. The lab's clean, everything's cool, There's right? Okay, no problem. And I, I, again, you look at, too, some of the meat recalls we've seen, right? some of the E. coli outbreaks, uh, I think this will go a long way in reducing that. And that's been a big issue. And maybe to most people, that would be the issue. Wait, okay, so you're telling me this is meat? What does it taste like? Is it safe? What does it cost? Those are the three big concerns for most people. Obviously, if you work in agriculture, you'd be worried by this. Because we're talking about basically wiping out the industry as we know it would seem to be the end goal here. Granted, that's probably several decades away. But that's the argument here, that we don't need farms anymore. We can create meat without cows. We can have eggs without chickens. We have milk without cows. So As our guest said, milk's probably the simplest one and maybe the one that people would be most comfortable with. As she said, given that there's so many milk alternatives out there already, almond milk and rice milk and goat's milk and all the rest of it, soy milk, et cetera. But yeah, meat cultured in a lab. Meat that is a cow but doesn't come from a cow. Seems weird. So would you get behind this? And here's the other question, though. I mean, should it proceed on its own? Let the chips fall where they may, as it were? Or do we need, as the guest suggested, government kind of taking sides here, maybe nudging this in a certain direction? Right? I'd rather see the free market sort this out if there's a case to be made for this then so be it. And maybe eventually we'll get to a point where this can be done incredibly cheap, far cheaper than massive farming operations, and maybe that'll be the one, you know, the the one driving factor behind this. Uh, this text here says Robbie, you need anything with ketchup, but this probably wouldn't be for me. Hmm. All right. Anyway, let's go back to the phone's here 403-974 talk. we'll uh, say good like afternoon to Don. Don, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, you remember The Matrix? Uh, the movie, yeah. Yeah, you remember the scene where they're all sitting around the table and they pour out that gloop out of the uh, the, the thing for their food? Right, yes. I, I mean, I don't know. I know you can make this food just about out of anything. I'll admit, I don't know how much I'd want to eat some of it.
0: Well, you're assuming it would. Uh, it would look or taste like that. Um, right? but i mean if you're presented with something that looks like a burger smells like a burger tastes like a burger really is a burger i mean what what would be the objection at that point
2: can i do the taste test first it's uh i don't, I don't know i i, I just there's, there's a certain thing about reality and we talk and these people talk about you know natural food and real food and the importance and value of Natural, real, nutrient.
0: Yeah, those, those are buzzwords in a lot of cases yeah. get thrown around. I don't know how much they really mean.
2: I know, I'm, and I know, yeah. but I'd, I would just rather have my food from a natural, real source. I buy my beef off of a farmer because I know where it comes from. And I, and, and I give my money to him rather than uh, another company. So,
0: Well, you go, you buy directly from a, a beef producer? Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah.
2: If you, I know there's a lot of, uh, if you look out, if you look for them, you find on the internet, you meet them in farmer's markets, you can start to find producers that will sell to you for even vegetables, eggs. Uh, We've got a group of hydrates that come by my office at work and sell us eggs, and they're way better than anything you have at a store.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, but yeah, but I think it comes down to to quality. Uh And And if this is, if this can be quality meats or quality eggs... Then what's the issue, though?
2: I would, I guess my, my issue, I, I would just want to reserve judgment until I taste it and see. Well, and, so would I. Uh,
0: so would, yeah, yeah. That's, that's certainly reasonable, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. If it, I mean, if it tastes...
2: Call, call me skeptical.
0: But. Yeah, we all should be. No, I agree with you, Don. appreciate the call. I, I haven't tried this. I have no idea what it tastes like. And obviously, though, that's going to continue to improve as the technology gets better. So this is really the first lab-grown burger, right? And as mentioned, I mean, it cost them over $300,000 just to make it. Obviously, that's not feasible uh, from, from a consumer perspective, but it was the first. And so these two food critics ate it. One said it was close to meat, but not that juicy. The other said it did taste like a real burger. Uh, one of the food writers said, the mouthfeel is like meat. I miss the fat. There's a leanness to it. But the general bite feels like a hamburger. What was consistently different was the flavor. So, And that's on the first lab-grown burger. I mean, the 100,000th uh, lab-grown burger might taste pretty good. Uh, this is Dave. Dave, go ahead.
2: Good afternoon. I was just wondering if uh, you'd bring back Soylent Green's.
0: We all know what Soylent Green is now. We had to wait to,
2: well, through the whole movie to figure it out. See, that's the ultimate in recycling, right? You you know, you don't have to worry about the environmental. That's just taking care of itself. So There you go. That is, well, that's my suggestion. Yeah.
0: Okay. Dave, appreciate the call. Uh, they were back to the Matrix again, too. Weren't they liquefying people and feeding it to everybody in the ponds? <laughs> yeah. Soylent Green. That was. I don't know what year that movie was. Anyway, 403-974-8255. We'll break here for the news. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.